You're listening to the Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. Hello and welcome to the Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. This is Simone Tamignano, and I'm here with Dr. Tony Biscop, who's partnering with us on this Togetherings series. Hi, it's nice to meet everyone. The Togetherings are conversations presented in a series of three episodes, with each one focusing on a different theme explored from Alaskan perspectives. Today is the second conversation of this series on structural racism, and this episode is about how to dismantle structural racism. We are recording at the Outnord studio in Anchorage on the traditional land of the Denaina people. As I mentioned, Dr. Tony Biscop is partnering with us on this Togethering series. Would you like to say something about yourself and how your path connects to uh, what we are talking about today? Uh, sure, thanks. Yeah, so, you know, I... Uh, I'm very passionate about this topic. Um, I grew up facing a lot of discrimination from a lot of angles. Um, we were on welfare. I grew up with a single mother home. I'm, my sister and I were the first people to go to college. And um, just because of our um, little bit darker coloring, we were discriminated against uh, for that as well. Um, so uh, yeah, this has been an area of interest my whole life. and. Um, uh, as a physician, I um, am very concerned about how racism impacts people's ability to grow and thrive and their health. And, um, and we see it in every aspect of our lives. So uh, I'm super excited about our guests and about this series. Um, and I hope everyone else listening enjoys it, too. Well, to talk about structural racism in education, we have two guests connected with us, uh, Professor Margot Bellamy and Michaela Bluett. Thank you for being here. To get started, um, it, I'd love to just have both of you share one or two things that you think are really important for the audience to know about you. Okay, so um, there are a couple of things that are important to me, uh, of course, uh, besides my family and my faith. Um, but the things that I, and I think people who know me probably know that, uh, I, I come at, um, life from a service perspective. Um, that's how I grew up. Uh, we took care of each other. Uh, we nurtured each other. I grew up in, uh, Florida and, uh, that, that's, a um, that gave me a, um, foundation for, I didn't realize it at the time. Um, but because I grew up during uh, segregation uh, and then integration, uh, those were foundations that have pretty much been my foundation. So uh, I'll stop there and let Michaela go. So some important things to know about me is that I'm really, I'm very passionate about mental health, which is my major, um, clinical psychology, especially coming from a black community. So I'm mixed, I'm black and I'm white, but I was raised by both black parents. So I was raised by my stepdad who's black and my mom who's black. So it's interesting coming from like not knowing my white side, but still identifying as both black and white. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, we usually start by asking our guests, um, our guests, um, What's your personal connection or experience with the topic that we're going to explore today of dismantling structural racism? Oh, well, it's my life. Um, a life of having to be better, do better. Mm. I think the hard part was really after I had kids. Mm. I could fend for myself. 
And that drives me to this day mm. in my work to make sure that systems are fair, mm. accessible, and that every kid, regardless of where they come from, who their parents are, that they have access to a free and vibrant public education. So, you know, I, I bring this, when I come to this work, I bring not just my own lived experience, uh, but the things that have happened to kids, my own kids and other kids right here in this town. And I love Anchorage. Um, so, yeah. Personally, it's really hard um, being mixed because I feel like a lot of the times when I go to speak up, when I go to try to dismantle these stereotypes and just these racism barriers that I'm faced with, a lot of people don't care about what I have to say because it's either, oh, you're too white. Like, it's always something. It's never people seeing me and seeing my voice as what I have to offer is always, you can't say that, you can't do that. So um, I, like I said, I write, like I write poetry and I use my poetry to try to talk about mental health, to try to talk about my experiences. So that way people know like my story in that side of um, what's happening, because I feel like a lot of the time we don't know the mental aspects of what's happening to these individuals. So I try to speak for myself about the situations that I face. I'm just in awe listening to both of you share um, share this. And Michaela, I wanted to ask, have you found that with your poetry, um, have you been able to connect with people or have you found that people have felt like, oh, you know, here's somebody else who gets it? A lot of people, it like a lot of people don't message directly onto my page, but they'll message me individually. And the amount of support and just the amount of, I never knew like this is how you felt or I never even thought to think of, wow, mixed people actually do like, I never realized what I was saying was offensive or just things like that. So people actually have been really supportive and I have changed a little bit of perspectives, but it's not, it's baby steps, but it makes me proud to say that I'm making people think about what they're saying to people. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, really everything we do, it's baby steps. Uh, <laughs> we're never going to see massive shifts. I think we just, it's a, it's a marathon, an ultra marathon, you know, um, it is everything happening right now. And then being here in Vegas, it's very, mm. I don't know, there's a lot of Democrats, but there's also a lot of Republicans and I'm the only black person at my job. Uh, and so like, ugh. Is there, um, and this is this is kind of a personal question, so you feel free to, you know, say no, you'd rather not. But um, is there a, a story about racism that you'd like to share with us? So it can be something you witnessed, it can be something that you experienced, or something that someone told you about. And if, if this is, you know, if you'd rather not answer this question, that's okay, too. You can go first, Ms. Margo. I feel like you're going to have an amazing story to tell. <laughs> Well, a couple come to mind. Um, one is what drove me to, uh, this story is one that really uh, solidified my path into um, developing, uh, getting my own self uh, in, uh, educated and um, uh, in a position where I could make decisions that would impact the lives of kids. Mm -hmm. So this is way back, oh, I think it was in the, I want to say the, early 80s, right here in Alaska, I was uh, working uh, in the school district still, 
uh, at Clark Middle School. And a group of us, it was, that was, has always been the most diverse school in our city. And I had the privilege to work there for about 15 years. And so this particular year, we were, a group of us um, were uh, trying to figure out uh, activities for, for our students. And we had like, in mind, we had you know, sports activities, we had, we just wanted to hear from kids. So we developed a survey and back then we didn't have like survey monkey. <laughs> we developed a survey and that, uh, and, and so the, the kids could tell us about themselves. And then we asked questions about what they wanted to do. And so uh, we were hand tallying these surveys and we came across, and it was just one out of hundreds, but it, it was so impactful for me. We came across the one survey and the we, you know, had their name, their age, their grade. And then we had, um, so anyway, this survey, this one survey out of hundreds, uh, a, there, it was a student who identified themselves by name and grade and age, but they could not identify or, and it might've just been a mistake, but for race, they had a 25% Alaska native, 25% black. And the other 50% was like missing. And that just, that, that just, um, impacted me in a way, you know, how are we educating kids mm -hmm. and they don't know who they are? Mm -hmm. I mean, how does that feed into one's self esteem? Mm -hmm. And so that, that really changed our work, uh, uh, uh that one survey. So and it, it's the power of one mm -hmm. is so significant for me. It, it has manifested itself over and over in my life. Mm -hmm. And so from that experience, we got, we did a lot of cultural things for kids. Uh, we did a lot of, um, activities that got kids to work together. It wasn't just about the sports, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. About, about things that were more, that were closer to the, you know, to kids and closer to their identity. And so from that, I, uh, I, I went back to school, <laughs> uh, became a principal, a first assistant principal, then a principal. And uh, believe it or not, all these years later, it propelled me to run for the school board mm -hmm. because we are still missing the mark. We are still not, uh, we're not, despite our best efforts, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying anybody comes to work every day going, you know what, I'm just going to mistreat kids today. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen, mm -hmm. but our own biases, and that was one of the things that uh, came out of that for us as a staff, and this is back in the 80s, mm -hmm. we had to ask ourselves, what kind of classroom, what kind of experience are we giving kids when they come to our classrooms? And we're still asking that same question today. Well, thanks for sharing, first of all. Mm -hmm. And uh, that makes me think, uh, you mentioned that you started working uh, for the same school district in the 80s. And you just said that uh, the same questions come comes up. And... In this sense, I wonder, did you witness any change throughout all these years? So besides, of course, the diversity, um, you know, I have been, Michaela, I hear what you're saying when you are, um, when you say you are the only one. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I have been the only one. Uh, and actually, um, my journey started in the Anchorage School District in the 70s, right? Mm -hmm. 
So when King Career Center opened, I was uh, the uh, a staff member at the King Career Center its first year. And so back then things were a lot smaller, but things were very progressive. And back then though, we had support, different kinds of support systems. So for people like me who wanted to go into administration, uh, we had, we called it back in the day, a task force of professionals who would help and, and, and uh, you know, you, they were available to you or to me or to anyone who wanted to go into administration. And so, uh, so th- there have been changes, uh, but, there, but there's also been great challenges as well. Because back in the day, <laughs> we had the, you know, African-Americans and Alaska Native children were the diversity. That has, that has multiplied, and it's a beautiful thing. And I don't think we've kept up as much as we could have. I mean, somehow we feel like we have to only focus on one race at a time. And that that will keep us um, fragmented and divided. And, uh, you know, so the resources won't ever get to where they need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I sense that we are... Uh, so during my, my my career, I've had moments where I thought, wow, this district is fabulous. Mm. I've also had moments when I thought, how do I keep working for this district? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you have to keep, people are well-meaning. I really do come at, at my work from that perspective. And there are some. Uh, that I learn are not because they, everything, everything uh, can't become, everything is not always racialized, but we have got to figure out how to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And people just can't talk about that in ways that are, that they can understand better or, and so those conversations are not taking place. Mm -hmm. And that's why I feel like we are, we have not made the progress that we, I mean, now it is since um, COVID has, uh, has, is really the x-ray that's just shown all of our broken parts. Oh, I love that analogy. Whether it's education, healthcare, economics, we are broken. Mm. And now everybody can see that we are broken. So the conversations are starting and people are taking time to look at themselves, not as bad people, mm-hmm. but as people, people who need to, do, I have to do work on myself. Mm-hmm. I come at, I have biases that I have to check every single day. Mm-hmm. So we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, but knowing that you need to do that work and, and, and then, be having the courage to do it much like what you guys are doing today. That's what's going to move us forward. So, and that's not going to just be for me and my brown face, black grandbabies. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, it has to be for all of us. All right. And so um, what I like about what I'm seeing now is, is uh, the, the, I have this real appreciation for allies I've always had to build allies in my work because uh, whether th- those are uh, allies with parents or students, mm-hmm. um, allies with agencies, but I sense right now we have uh, we have a human allyship 
where we're coming and, and engaging with each other as humans. And from that very basic level, you hurt, I hurt. You're hungry, I'm hungry. You need, I need. I can help you. You can help me. And, and, and yet there's still that undercurrent of denial. Well, my kids did all right, but it's not about your kids. Mm-hmm. It's not about your race. Mm-hmm. It's about all of us having opportunities mm-hmm. so that we can all realize our dreams. Mm-hmm. And that is not that, and that is hard for a lot of people, mm-hmm. but I think I, I am so hopeful um, because that is one of the differences I see. Um, and I do see our schools uh, and uh, doing amazing work around uh, cultural responsiveness. Mm. I do. That was interesting to hear. It's always interesting to like see teachers and educators talk about stuff like this. Cause I don't know if you guys know, but um, at Bartlett, Mr. Prince did a program, him and the Clark principal, Mr. Wardlaw, um, they did a program during the beginning of the semester about um, how to talk about racism within the classroom. And I was a speaker for that. And it was, I was like, all my teachers were there. I was like, it's crazy to see that they actually care and that they're going out their way to educate themselves about it. So I just wanted to say that because I I give you guys a lot of props because I didn't know you guys cared so much. So it, it means a lot from, even though I graduate and everything, but still. So personally, um, it's, it's always weird talking about it because a lot of the stuff that happened, I didn't realize was racism until mm-hmm. I learned what racism was. So um, I spent a majority of my childhood in Germany. So I was raised in Germany um, from kindergarten up until fifth grade. So, and I, when I came to the States, I landed in the most racist place possible. I landed in the South in Jessup, Georgia. Mm. Yeah. And just to put in perspective, that's 45 minutes away from Brunswick. Mm-hmm. Straight yeah. shot. So um, I was I was a lot darker right now. I'm very pale, but I was a lot darker. Um, and when I got there, my mom never discussed racism because in Germany, a lot of people, people are very open. So it was nothing like I didn't see myself different from everybody because I saw everyone as a person. I saw I didn't have to worry about my dad with police officers I didn't have to worry about my mom with her hair or even my hair texture it was just that was who we are and that's all I've seen myself and that's all I've seen my family as as just people and everybody else so when I got to Jessup um I started school fifth grade and um the first thing people ask are like what are you the let me guess your race game. <laughs> and it's the most annoying thing possible because people sit there and try to figure out who you are. And it's, and it's never about who you are actually. It's just, what do you identify as? And um, I always struggled figuring out who I was because I've always been put in categories. So I was always too white for the black people. So they were like, oh, we can't hang out with us. And then when I would hang out with my white friends, it was, you were too black. So it's like, I always had to adjust myself for the right group. So it was always, I, for a while until I actually came to Alaska, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I wanted to be, or even like, was red truly my favorite color? Do I really like the way with grass smells? Do I really like playing soccer or was I just pretending to be these things because that's what people wanted me to be. 
And I feel like that happens a lot in school as well. Like I noticed too, um, in Georgia, a lot of my teachers would put me, um, if let's say on a certain, like I did things that, uh, like, I don't really know how to explain it. Teachers in Georgia are very racist. So it was like, since I had good grades and since I was all, I always tried really, really hard to be good in my class, they would put me with the smart white people, even though people of color are still as smart, but they wouldn't give them a chance. And even when I applied for AP classes in Georgia, they didn't, they didn't allow me to even apply. They were like, oh, you know, they kind of brushed it off. And, um, I had 4.0, couldn't even get a National Honor Society, didn't even get offered. And then I came to Alaska and it's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) Honor Society. I'm like taking these AP classes. I'm actually being able to do stuff educational wise. And I'm seen as a person and not just a statistic. I think Mm -hmm. I say it's just, it's weird. Like, can I ask you what year? What years was that in Georgia? I mean, you're not that old. That wasn't that long ago. No. Um, so that was uh, fifth grade, oh, 2011 to 2016, wow. uh, 17. Because, yeah. oh, oh, I should tell you about the story of Trump being elected. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> I go to a majority, I went to a majority white school, all mostly rich white people, and we're allowed to wear hats, so they came with their Trump hats, the whole nine yards, the Trump shirts, and the teachers, like, even the principal support it. I wonder what would happen if you wore a BLM shirt or a BLM hat. People did at the school, so I asked them because I was in Anchorage, and they told me that they got ISS, they got in-school suspension. The people, yeah. So I go to school, and um, the first thing that happens, a fight breaks out. So I call my mom. I'm telling, like, I tell her this is like the second fight that's broken out, and she tells me like I she got me out of school because she didn't feel comfortable with it. Um, and then that was ooh, yeah, it was not. So the whole day there was just constant and there was um, a lot of so a lot of people down there were their confederate flags on their trucks so everybody was it was basically like a parade they were in the streets with their flags on their trucks blaring their music and it was it was scary and um it was even scary because that year on halloween they spray painted a scarecrow black and hung it by a tree and they and it stayed so it was it was very weird coming from a place of no color to a place where they all they see is color. Wow. So that's my experience with it. It's, it's a, there's a lot more, but it's so hard because I'm still figuring out that was racism. Like those things I experienced, that wasn't okay. So yeah. things like that. That sounds yeah. terrifying. It was very scary. And then I lived in Eagle River yeah. too. Oh my gosh and everything happened during quarantine I was like this is gonna be terrible uh, but it wasn't too bad it wasn't too bad but of course like going into Walmart and stuff like the stairs and like I remember one time this lady um was staring at me and I asked her I was like are you waiting for a reaction because it was when all the Black Lives Matter stuff happened and she was like no I just wanted to keep my eye out on you oh. 
That was in Eagle River in Alaska. Eagle River, Alaska, oh. at the Walmart. And that was like in the spring. That was in the spring. That was before. Wow. That was in um, right after uh, we had the Black Lives Matter protest yeah. in downtown. Yeah. The mm-hmm. week of that, that wow. happened. Yeah, and, and, and you know we have it's we have so much work to do as a as a community as a as a um, because these are the things that we don't want to happen yet they continue to happen. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I personally have faith in, um, our, you know, the, 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 you know, the young people, they're going to be the ones to fix this. Mm-hmm. All right. And, you know, I, I, I can, I can think of times in my life when I've become complacent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get, you, you know, you get, for me, it was, I got married. I, I, I bought my first home, you know, we then had our kids. Life was just beautiful. And then it starts all over again. So we can't ever afford to forget. And I tell my kids, you know, you, you, you have got to fight harder than I fought because the world has changed. Mm. It's, it's, it's got, it's, it's right at your fingertips. Mm. All right. What we do, what happens in China impacts the world, Mm -hmm. the whole world. I mean, not just in terms of COVID, but in terms of ideas and values and all those things, if we do not protect that, which we love and value, then you may as well just give it away. Mm. And so, you know, you know, I can, the times, like I said earlier, the times that have been most impactful for me is when, you know, and it, and it taught me, I mean, you have to learn, right? I mean, I can, I can remember taking my daughter to uh, try out for Nutcracker. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wanted to be a ballerina. Mm-hmm. And so we went, and of course, they didn't want the parents in. So I just put her in the door, and um, I think I must have ran a few errands. Which um, I which I stopped doing really. When I take my kids someplace, I stay, mm-hmm. not to watch them, but to watch how others mm-hmm. around them. All right, that was a hard lesson for me. I did it with so. Uh, in that instance, um, she was a very good dancer, mm-hmm. but they had brought up a guy who uh, was doing the auditions. He was a professional dancer, and he had determined and told my daughter. Uh, that she could not audition because she did not have a ballerina's body. Mm. And so it was like, so I came back about a couple hours later to pick her up and she's just so sad, so heartbroken. Mm. And I'm just, I'm knowing now, right. Knowing that Mm. she is uh, a a really good dancer and she really loves it. And, you know, so I'm just going, what part did you get? And she looks at me and she goes, they didn't let me try out. I didn't get to do anything. What do you mean you didn't get to do anything? Well, I saw red, like, uh, I mean, I was like, I, really, I, I could have torn the building down. But I had to contain myself because I don't want her to see me acting like a complete idiot. So I took her to the car. <laughs> I came back in. And I wanted to know why she was not allowed 
And then they gave me every excuse in the universe, every excuse. She was late. She wasn't paying attention. This is a kid who loves to dance. And I said, and, and why did you, what did you say to her about her body? And he said, well, I just explained to all the kids that ballerinas have a certain kind of body. She was the only black kid in the class, only black kid uh, at 10 years old on point in ballet. And he, he but, but I didn't let him crush her the way he thought he did, right? So I did, I, I complained uh, and I stood up and they had to redo all the darn auditions. And Good. yes, get a part, mm-hmm. all right? So that, and I, I remember that because I remember thinking, oh, how did I let this happen? You know, I got too complacent. We have to show up for our kids. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's hard though, because yeah, you have, we, everybody has to show up for their kids, but certain people have to show up differently and they have to show up fighting, but you can't be too mad because people will look at you a certain way and, and label you. And it's just like, it's so exhausting. It is. And it is, but, but, you know, and that's those allies, right? Yeah. Because, because when, when parents send their kids to school, they should not have to worry about how their kids are going to be treated. When they, when we send our, when you send your kid to a dance class or Mm. a karate class, or, or just to go in and, and shop, you should not worry that they're going to get overlooked or looked down upon. Mm-hmm. You should. We have got to be there for each other. You can't have a good person over here and a bad person over here. Mm-hmm. Kids don't know the difference. They're right in the middle. And so somehow we've got to share this responsibility. It can't just be you know, and I, I used to think it was Margot Bellamy against the world because when mm. I was a principal, I got to hire people who were good for kids. Mm. I got to shape the school, the programs, the way that I knew they needed to be. And if a, if we, and I paid attention to who was in honest society and who was not in honest society. And it wasn't enough for, uh, for, for, for there to be no answer. Cause then mm. I would say to my counselors, I need you to call the family. I need them to understand what a wonderful honor this is. All right. But there's so many others that just simply think, well, I gave them all the opportunity. They just didn't take it. We can't stop there. Mm -hmm. All right. And I know principals right now who are absolutely phenomenal because that's what they do. Not hearing from a parent does not, does not equate to not caring. Mm -hmm. All right. So if I can't get you this way, I'll get you this way, but I will get you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will talk to you about what's happening at school. Mm-hmm. All right. And so uh, for a long time, I think we, we, we all became a little complacent in that, you know, we just, you, we left school to school. We left, you know, uh, we left everybody to do their own thing and we forgot about our collective needs. Mm-hmm. All right. And we forgot about those things that make us the individuals that we are. We tried to homogenize everything. Mm-hmm. And um, and now we're seeing we're realizing, at least I'm realizing that, you know, we can't. That's not the answer that, you know, that's not the answer. So I, I am encouraged uh, by um, the young people. They're asking the tough questions. Mm-hmm. They're showing up. 
They're giving voice in ways that uh, I may have, um, in my younger days, I might not have spoken up as as uh, um, loudly and articulately as, uh, as the youth are speaking up today. And that's on both ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But somehow I, I see us coming, you know, together. I do. Uh, maybe not in my lifetime, but the work has to continue. And it has to be, it's not something that you can say, oh, we're going to do this, you know, this this is for now. No, and that's part of that complacency. That's part of what we, what we you know, we, 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 we just take things uh, for granted and we take care of our own little inner circle and we, until it happens to us, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, um, yeah, and I also am encouraged because I see people uh, who don't look like me <laughs> We don't have anything in common, but they are looking at themselves and they're asking tough questions. You know, am I racist? I mean, who, who can, you know, don't get offended because, and they don't get offended by that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can remember conversations that I've had with, with uh, majority people and the, the first thing, well, I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. Mm-hmm. That's off the conversation. It's not about being a racist. Mm-hmm. But what I see happening now, I see individuals asking them, themselves, am I? Could I be? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's like that reflection. Oh, I didn't think that was racist, like Michaela said. Mm-hmm. Now I know it was racist, right? Mm-hmm. So somehow we, we've got to continue talking and we've got to share our stories and help people see you know, that what I'm asking for from my grandkids and for my family is the same thing that uh, Simonetta and and Tony and everybody I know is asking for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Respect, peace, you know, food on the table, mm-hmm. a, a p- p- wonderful public schools. I, we all want the same thing. It shouldn't be that some of us get it and some of us don't. And it shouldn't matter if I speak up or not speak up because mm-hmm. there should be stewards and allies out there to look out for, for if, if, if it's not happening, then somebody needs to ask, why is that not happening mm-hmm. for this? Kid? Like my, uh, my head is uh, in a swirl of thoughts now. Um, it must be also exhausting and overwhelming thinking, oh, this is just me standing alone against the bigness of the problem, of the issue. But when there's a collectivity, it's a whole different thing because there's an, an underlying sense of unity mm-hmm. in that. And mm-hmm. I think that really what, when you were talking, it makes me think about how we tend to divide mm-hmm. uh, things in life, mm-hmm. these and these and these, thinking that there are like s- certain things that apply to us and certain others that don't, um, they're not our concern. And reality says, no, actually, everything is a whole. And so I really like what you were saying. And um, I guess uh, there are different situations, that I, and I'm curious to know from both of you, like, how do you respond to uh, racism? Like, you know, there's a situation where you can go and talk to the ballet teacher in person. There are like also situations where it happens online. There's situations where like it seems to be there in the ether in a greater landscape that 
still has a great impact and effect. So how, I'm really curious to know, uh, how do you respond to these constant attacks almost? Personally, sometimes like my first instinct is to understand because psychology has messed with my mind. So I try to understand. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's bad. Plus humanities, it's, mm. so I try to understand their perspective. That's the first thing I do. Well, I try to understand their background. So where are they coming from? What type of house were they raised in? So I can better understand why they think the way that they do. So that way I can understand, are they, like, do they want to be educated or are they flat out ignorant? Because if they are wanting to be educated, then I can go about, do I want to take the time to educate them on this is racist and you should know why this is racist and how to better yourself based off the things that you said so that you don't say it again to another person. So most, cause I try for ignorant people. I try, I really just don't respond or cause it doesn't go anywhere. And I don't like angering myself and making myself upset over someone that will never change. I try to just see is some like if they're wanting to be educated so that way I can try to show them it's not right and try to show them what's better to say or how to change their way of thinking. So that's mostly how I try to handle racism. So I have I have kind of transformed myself in the way that I, I and it's for my own um for my own sense of safety and I guess just sanity. Uh, when I was younger, I used to punch it in the face, not literally, but mm -hmm. I would, I would, you know, how dare, I mean, I would be more confrontational. I really would. Um, the last 15 years of my, before I retired, I had the opportunity to do, um, um, equal employment opportunity work. Uh, where I also investigated complaints of harassment, discrimination, racism, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things I had to do was find a way for people to have conversations about what happened to them and try to help them understand, um, you know, what are their options to deal with it, all right? And so that's kind of when I, I, I got to where I am now. All right. The insults continue to come. Um, and I have to decide, much like Michaela said, you have to decide what you're going to do about them. Right. Uh, so one, the way that I come at uh, trying to sustain myself and give other people opportunities to grow and learn and understand. Um, I've, what I know is that the words that people use only tell part of the story. So I try to look beneath the words because sometimes there is a, there's something there that, that is, uh, that is, you know, that that's hurtful or, um, disrespectful. And so when people, when people come, would come to me and they would tell me their stories, I could not have a preset mind as to how I was going to help them. Right. You can't do it that way. That's the way I used to do it. So I would miss everything you're saying because I'm trying to figure out how, what, how I'm gonna help you right now. You know, I'm just gonna help you right now. When really what people need to do is um, tell their story and, be, and, and, and then have the opportunity 
and then and then they're open to explaining more. So when I run a when I so what I do what I learn to do is when people I, I try to look past the words and I ask deeper questions if it's appropriate to do so. Because my telling them that they're a racist is not going to give me the outcome that I want. All right. If my outcome is to understand um, or or and it is all right, um, then I need to listen. And listening is one of the most powerful things I've learned to do. And I wish I'd had the skill of listening 50 years ago. All right. And so, and then, so once you do, but, but then there's a part, there's that part where you, you know, in listening, you also, uh, um, get to the point where you're not only asking questions, but you're also engaging the person in some kind of agreement. All right. So whether that is, we are going to agree to disagree or, uh, or I understand your pain it helps me know that I am not the problem, right? And it helps me hopefully give, give space so that people can uh, walk away not feeling uh, badgered and believe, and, 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 you know, because I've done those trainings too. I've done those undoing racism trainings where we just, uh, we, we undo uh, not just the racism in you, but all around you and people leave wounded. They don't know what to do with what they learned. And so they go back into their cocoon. Mm. So I, 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 I try to um, preserve my sanity by uh, first of all, understanding, asking deeper questions. If I get at listening mm. at first and asking deeper questions and sometimes, and then be, and then the power of silence. I will wait you down. I can wait for answer. Because what happens in that moment, and it, I'm telling you, if you practice it, it works. What happens in that moment is you can see the little wheels going and people going, oh, I, I, uh, it's not what they meant. But they get to know it's not what they meant. Mm. And that's different than me telling them what they did, Right? And so the, the power of listening, the power of questioning, and the power of silence. And they can be as long as you need them to be or as short as you need them to be. And there are times I just choose to just walk away. So if I'm in a grocery store, now there was one time that I didn't walk away. Again, my daughter, we're in JCPenney's downtown. <laughs> And um, I'm teaching her, she was probably five, maybe, maybe six. I'm teaching her how to, you know, she's got her money. I think she had a stuffy, a stuffed animal. She's going to go pay. So she's standing in line. Okay. And I'm still shopping. So I come back and she's still standing there. I'm going, why are you still standing here? And um, now there were like, she would have been like third in line, right? They, they literally walked around her. Nobody even acknowledged that she was even there with her stuffy and her money. So now that day was not a good day because I did lose it because of all the people around her. 
including the person, the, the, the cashier, they, there's no way they, they, there's no way they would have missed her. Mm-hmm. All right. So they purposely did not acknowledge or respect her right to be where she was to pay for this thing, but she stood and she waited. All right. So, um, we had to have conversations about that, but again, it's, it's kind of like, you know, in what world would anybody stand by and let a child Mm -hmm. ignore a child like that? In what world would that happen? So I'm thinking it was Christmas. People were busy. They just thought she was there with somebody. I don't know how to rationalize that, but I was not a happy camper. Um, and, uh, but it's those things that happen. Now, my daughter probably doesn't even remember it to this day, but I remember it. Okay. I remember it. And I carry that, I carry that pain. All right. I put it where it needs to go, but I do, I carry it with me because I still remember it. And it, it, it forces me to not let that happen for anybody else's kid. You're inspiring. We need mm-hmm. people that have your same energy in this world. Um, well, I wanted yeah, I agree. I'm just, I'm so inspired listening to both of you. It's so amazing. And I'm so thankful that we have you in this community. And I'm just thinking to myself, how lucky the school system is to have had you for so many years working for the kids. I mean, really, it's incredible. Um, I I wanted to ask, Michaela, um, you mentioned something about who is understanding your pers- like about perspective right and um and that you try to think about things from the other person's perspective but then but i feel like we're always doing that and and i think it's a good it's 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 a good thing to do and i think it helps us to connect with humanity in general regardless of who's who but not everybody's doing that and it's hard yeah and so like how do we how do you uh, interact with people to get them to start thinking, gosh, what is that other person's perspective? You know, um, yeah, I mean, is do you see some change or how do you engage in a way that you're not the only one who's trying to see other perspectives, but how do you engage others in a way to try to get them to think, maybe I need to think about the other person's perspective? Mostly for me, um, like I said, with my poetry, um, mm. that's where I get people talking about it. And in the comments or some, like people, I'll get people, like I'll ask people questions or even, um, mostly <laughs> this is Courtney, but humanity's really taught me how to think because Miss people had it. So what is it to be a good listener? Are you, how is your body posture? Are you open? Are you making yourself approachable? How are you give? like, what is the tone you're giving off to other people so that they want you to listen so that they're, they know that you're engaged in what they have to say, because I feel like that's also important because if you're, if you're like this arms crossed, rolling your eyes, I'm not going to want to talk to you. I'm not going to want to have to listen to what you have to say. So I think it's important that we I think it's important to keep your mind open because it also, what I've noticed hearing ignorant people speak with zero knowledge has helped me build an even stronger basis in my beliefs. Mm. So I think that's another important reason to listen because even though you might not agree, you can understand where that person is coming, coming from so that you can better form a better basis of what 
you believe in. So I think it just make it builds a stronger belief system within yourself. And um, although I haven't seen a lot of people change and when it comes to listening, uh, I think people are more cautious to what they are saying now. I think people are starting to think before they do stuff. And I think that's really important because most people don't do that. They just say what they have to say and then they deal with the consequences after. And I think it's important that we truly think about the impact our words have. Yeah, because words are important. Words are very important. One word can change your whole sentence, can change mm. as you said, can words make an impact no matter what people say words hurt mm-hmm. i like that and um makes me think do you feel um it's important to grow a sense of compassion for those who might be ignorant of issues regarding racial justice but even other uh issues do you think it's important to grow a sense of compassion for the people in, in order to kind of move forward uh, towards a better word, towards the dismantling of these issues? Yeah, I think so, only because it makes me more grateful when I, because it makes me feel like, wow, my parents and my community took the time to educate me and put me in a loving environment to where I know my morals, I know what's right and what's wrong. So it's not so much like, it's not so much being compassionate but being grateful for what I have and the lessons that I've learned along the way, because it's sad to see that people don't know what's right and what's wrong. So it makes me sad for them that, wow, they have to live with this their entire life. And I feel like it takes a lot of energy to hate someone, to go out your way to hate what someone does because of their race, to not be able to enjoy these things because a person of color did this. And that's, I just feel bad for them, truly. Like, I feel bad that you take your time out of your day to hate someone and to be that ignorant. Uh, unfortunately, we're getting close to the end of this Togethering episode. And I feel like been, I could keep going and listening to you guys forever. <laughs> I love this conversation. Yeah, it's been truly uh, great uh, having you here, both uh, Margo and Michaela. Uh, we usually end uh, by asking our guests, uh, do you have, um, with regards of today's topic of how to dismantle structural ra- racism, do you have any advice for people who are listening? So I, what I have, I don't know that it's advice, but I have some awarenesses <laughs> um, that it's just profound from to me is that uh, you know, black lives matter, but all lives can't matter until black lives matter. Mm-hmm. And so we got to keep, I mean, you know, so you got to pay attention. Mm-hmm. If you are, whether you are a CEO of a company, a superintendent of a school district, teacher in a classroom, you've got to pay attention to who is participating, who is present, and what is your role in, you know, in, 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 in making sure that everybody has access to what they need? And so uh, when you look around, uh, you know, so pe- and, and pe- this is this is where where um, well-meaning people sometimes uh, um, don't go far enough in terms of 
um, really paying attention to who is, who is missing. If I only responded to those people who show up to testify at board meetings or only paid attention to people who wrote letters, I'm missing 70% of our citizens. All right. And so, you know, we, we have got to create systems or break down systems so that the, so that, you know, it's built in to our, um, to our psyche, to our processes, you know, you know, who is impacted? How are they impacted? Sometimes uh, uh, some groups are impacted more than others. And it's not just about race. It's about the poor. Mm-hmm. All right. Poverty, poverty is, 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 uh, th- that influences success more than anything else. And yes, it's not just black people who are poor. It's white people, Alaska Native people, Hispanic people. All right. And so when we look at our systems, I don't care how wonderful we think they are, or how much money we're making. You have got to make a commitment and you've got to be intentional to ask yourselves some questions. You know, and, 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 and those questions should drive what you do. And, but you got, but, but if you don't have the schema to do that, mm-hmm. all right, then, you know, that is a challenge. Because if I don't know, you don't know what you don't know, right? But, and, and there are people who have not paid attention to the Black Lives Matter movement. They have not paid attention because they've not made any changes to how they do business. They have not paid any attention to uh, the impact of, the, you know, the healthcare uh, impact, the, the, the food insecurities that COVID has caused. They have, not, they have not paid attention because their world is perfect. And so I, I, so I think that what, one of the things we have to do, we have, we, you know, we have to um, look at everything we're doing and who is doing those things and who are we doing them for? And what is the impact of them? If the only impact is more money, then we are way off. We are way off. All right? But if our kids can't see themselves reflected in the faces of the teachers who, who teach them, and if our CEOs can't, can't value the diverse perspectives and input of, uh, from people who don't look like them, uh, then we, we're, we're not going to make the progress that we want to make. But I believe that we will. So don't be, uh, uh, don't be too uh, concerned, Michaela. You may be the only one right now, but you will multiply. I hope so. Us, I use my, it's scary, like, being the only person to be so vulnerable. But I, it's worth it in the long run. So I have no regrets for taking this step and putting myself out there, but I'll get over my fears. And it's, it's for something bigger than myself and that's why I'm doing it. And my advice is just to listen and to understand the impact your words have, because I think it's really important during this time to use your words in a powerful way to make a statement, because I feel like that's what people are hearing right now is how 
so, like some most of the time it's our actions, but I feel like our words during this time, especially I can't breathe. That has been amazing. That has been such an impact. And I feel like that's what people need to pay attention to. How are you using your words to make an impact? And so I think that's what people need to do is listen and um, choose their words correctly. How is it impacting those around them?